This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, dear Christian friends. We're going to be focusing on that, that last verse that uh, we heard in our gospel lesson. Just reread that, where Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So how's that going for you, that whole be perfect thing? Got it down? Got it figured out? Uh, the kids took off, but my guess is, if I asked if they were perfect, moms and dads, you, grandma and grandpa, you could probably tell all kinds of stories. But I'm guessing some of the most memorable stories would probably not be the times when they were perfect. Let me read it again. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But, parents, grandparents, why, you've had all kinds of extra time, right? I mean, surely you've got it figured out. Wives, when you think of your husband, why, you couldn't... Ask for anything more, right? The perfect guy in every way. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just saying, guys, I, I want you to know I tried. Looking out for you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Sometimes we, we might try and wiggle around this one. But Jesus says this as a culmination in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, turns out he wasn't joking around because he says that not one, the least stroke of his law, should be swept under the rug. And he went so far, I used to think he was just hyperbole. He said if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. But, but he goes on and he says, oh, by the way, Unclean thoughts are as adultery. And an unkind word is as murder. And then he says, be perfect. He means what he says. He's actually being very straightforward. Be perfect. I mentioned earlier, I serve as a missionary with Truth and Love Ministry. We're an online global outreach to Mormons. And we often use this verse because it's one of the Bible passages that they know most of all. They're literally trying to be perfect. And add to that, they've been taught that God would never give you a command that you could not keep. And now you begin to understand the pressure Today, I, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to just share, as a missionary, I've got all kinds of stories. But my prayer is as I unpack some of those, and we unpack what God has to say here in his word, that we would identify impossible problem, be perfect, who can? But God provides a perfect solution. 
We're an online ministry. So we do a lot of ads out on social media in heavily LDS communities. By the way, your community here, there's a growing demographic of Mormons, so there is extraordinary opportunity. My understanding is in Longmont, what is it, just uh, eight miles away or so, there was a temple that was built. They don't build one of those unless it'll serve at least 100,000 Mormons. So that tells you Mormonism is on the move in your community, providing you opportunities. So we're a global online outreach. And one day, Lauren clicked on one of our ads. And it went with a discussion that went for hours into the night. Lauren explained that she had grown up as a very young child with abuse of the very worst kinds. And it continued into her adult life, moving from one bad relationship to another. And she felt as if there was no escape and no hope. Until, with the help of some folks in her community, she was able to find a new path. They were Mormons. But here's what's so fascinating. Lauren shared that she was still experiencing, even though now she was clean cut, seemingly put together, still experiencing the same kinds of emotions when she had abuse of the very worst kind. She still saw her value as a person through the eyes of others and the criteria that they set up for her. And God seemed as far off and as distant as ever. Lauren, in our exchange that evening, through tears, cried out, where was God in all of my suffering? we were able to share with her that God's light often shines brightest in the darkness. That her value as a person does not come through the eyes of others, but when Jesus stretched out his arms, he said, this is how much you're worth to me. And that evening, Lauren discovered a whole new identity in Jesus for the very first time. Mormons are some of the nicest neighbors you could ask for, some of the nicest folks around, because they are literally trying to be perfect. But eventually, either the standard of how high that really is or how well you think you're doing is got to give. Either you got to lower the standard or you raise up how well you think you're doing. Otherwise, it becomes impossible. Each year, Truth and Love Ministry hosts mission trips, transformational experience. We've had folks from your congregation participate. Love to see a team join us again this June. We go right into the heart of some of the least Christian cities in all the United States, like 
places that are 98% Mormon? Is that a place where we should be doing mission work? Absolutely. During some downtime, my wife and I were at the Salt Lake Temple, getting a tour from some of the sister missionaries there. And those LDS missionaries, uh, the girls, were sort of showing us around. I got, got to ask them about this passage. I said, look, uh, how is it, tell me what your secret is, how is it that you are perfect? I mean, my wife was right there, so I said, you know, look, uh, my wife will tell you that I'm not perfect. See, guys, by the way, I'm, I'm right there with you, okay? <laughs> and they said, well, our scriptures say, and this comes from Mormonism, that you're saved by grace after all you can do. So then I start to ask, well, tell me, tell me more about that. Like, all you can do? How would you ever know if you've done all that you could do? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you could still always have done more. I mean, is it a matter that I do 99% and Jesus does one? Is it a 50-50 split? Is it uh, maybe he does 99, I only have to do my one. How would I ever know I did my one perfectly? And she said, well, basically our leaders teach us that it means just try your best. Lower the standard. But friends, we know that that's not what Jesus is saying here. And the reason we know it is in those verses, right, that, that verse, it says, be perfect, and here's the standard, the gold standard, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That raises it right back up there, doesn't it? I remember climbing up a long concrete stairway, up a house, and met a man named John. And John... Um, got to talking about this passage, and he said, well, I am perfect. I literally had to take a step back. Whoa, wow, John, I'm in your presence. Tell me more. Like, uh, how, how do you figure? And, and John started to point. He said, you see that guy over there down the street? He says, some of the things I've heard him say outside to his wife and kids, the tone that he uses who knows what happens behind closed doors? I know them better than him. And if you're telling me that that guy can get in, well, then I don't want to be there. Wow, I sent a shiver down my spine. It would be easy for us to throw arrows at John. But before you do, Friends, do we ever make comparisons in order to make ourselves feel better? I mean, let's be honest. Do you ever look at others and say, well, at least I haven't done that. So I must be a little more lovable, God, right? Or when it comes to rolling up your sleeves here at church. Are there ever times where maybe taking down Christmas decorations or whatever it is, 
You show up and then you say, well, I'm here. I don't know where everybody else is. And you're making comparisons in order to make yourself feel better. We do that all the time if we're honest. And the truth is, that is a very dangerous place to be because that's exactly where John was putting his comfort and hope. If the standard is perfect, you either are or you aren't. James 2 says, if we keep the whole law, but we stumble at just one point, we're guilty of breaking all of it. So how many pinpricks does it take to pop a balloon? Just one. And then the whole thing is blown. Which means, friends, you and I are in the same boat with John and his neighbor down the street. Sometimes Mormons realize if they hold the standard up here, this is just impossible. Who can do it? And they fall into despair. I remember running into one gal, Eliana, and Eliana at first was keeping a good front, you know, casual conversation. And as we continued on more, she began to open up. She had just gotten out of the hospital and she shared that she had complications of a miscarriage. As painful as that would be physically and emotionally for anyone, for Eliana it was a spiritual crisis. You see, Mormons are taught the best are blessed. So when things are going pretty well in your life, hey, God must love me, but the worst, flip side of the coin is, the worst are cursed. And so when something bad happens, you wonder, what did I do that God is so angry with me? And Eliana was terrified. She was looking back over her shoulder, feeling as if God was coming, gunning for her, and she didn't know how to fix it. By this point in the conversation, tears were streaming down her face. And we began to share that God's love is not dependent upon our circumstances, but it comes to bear in those times and lifts us up because our hope stands on Him. Eliana, here we were complete strangers at her door, tears streaming down. She gives us a hug and she says, this is everything I've ever been looking for. Where can I find more? Sometimes it's very difficult for people to leave the Mormon church because they're told that everyone goes to heaven in Mormonism. That's very popular. The only way you can go to hell, their version of it, is if you leave the Mormon church. I ran into Shannon. Shannon that week had just left the Mormon church. It was causing a lot of conflict in her home because her husband and children were still in. But she said, I couldn't do it anymore. Felt like everyone was just pretending, wearing a mask. If this is who God is, then I guess I'm going to hell. I still pray for Shannon. Ran into Kimberly and her husband. They were both professors at Brigham Young University, Mormon University. They are the experts. And in an unguarded moment, they shared 
We've got to believe that there's something kinder and gentler like what you're sharing. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, friends, those words, they back us into a corner and they drive us down to our knees until we have no place to turn, till we throw our hands up in the air and we say, Lord, I can't do it. I need you. I am lost without you. And it's in that moment that his grace shines brightest. I'm just a casual missionary type, okay? So you guys didn't know what you were getting signing up for here today, right? Can we do a little participation? Just informal, okay? All right. When, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I want you to think about, talked a little bit about that with the kids here this morning. When you wake up in the morning and your hair is all over the place, you're glad only your spouse sees you like that, right? And um, you're looking back over the past week and month and you know the relationships that are frayed and the role you played in them. You're looking ahead at the challenges on the horizon. I need you to be honest with me. In your heart of hearts. Raise your hand. Do you see yourself more as a sinner or a saint? How many of you see yourself more as a sinner? How many of you see yourself more as a saint? Okay. Most hands went up on sinner and a couple of you cheated. So, just saying. (laughs) Allow me to push back. But I need you to track with me so that no one leaves here with any misunderstandings, okay? The Apostle Paul said, the good I want to do, I do not do. (sighs) Rather, the evil I do not want to do this, I keep on doing. Can you relate? Are you with me on this? How about an amen? Amen. 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 Okay. So, you can relate. And the Apostle Paul was like that, right? He he described himself, by the way, he self-confessed chief of sinners. I think that's significant. Peter in the boat said, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. So so they can relate. Self-confess. How many times did Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, call them sinners? None. Just say ye have a little faith. How many times in the New Testament when Paul is writing to all of these churches does he describe, and this is significant, so I really want you to be a Berean and check me up on this. How many times does he call a believer a sinner? Let me give you a hint. He doesn't. In fact, he says, that is what you once were. Now, don't misunderstand me. Here's the... The Bible describes believers. We still, hey, we still struggle, right? So as verb, sin, yes. Because we sin our actions, sinful, yes. But now the noun is an identity word. And it's something, check me on this, it's something as I search 
all the Bible I never see as a descriptor of a believer. Why? I think God's trying to tell us something. You guys know what Jesus did for you on the cross, right? So, when the psalmist says that your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, do you believe that? Amen! So, I'm going to push back here. When Isaiah chapter 61.10 says that like a bride is so beautifully adorned on her wedding day, so he has now covered you with the robe of his righteousness, his perfection, do you believe it? Then take another look in the mirror. If you look in the mirror and you see a sinner, who are you looking at? Okay, yourself and every analogy limb, so bear with me here. But if you look in the mirror and you see a saint looking back at you, friends, tell me how in all the world would that ever be possible? Only if your eyes were fixed on him. Paul said, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. But through the through Adam, through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, the many are now righteous, holy, perfect. Boy, doesn't that completely change the way we look at this verse? Do you think that this is a message that Mormons need to hear? Mormons who are desperately trying to be perfect? Oh, what a message we have to share with them. But not only them. Everyone in our community, because finally at the end of the day, what do people outside of Christ finally say as they think about Judgment Day? Most, in one form or fashion or another, will say, I hope I'm good enough. And there's no certainty in that. Because deep down we know we're not. But friends, you're not just good enough. You're perfect. Right now. Because you're covered in Christ. Because He didn't just come to take away your sins. Because He came to live born under the law. To live perfectly for you. And to give that, credit that to your account. Oh, friends. This is a message too good not to share. I, first of all, I want you to stand on this promise. To cling to it but to hold it out. I want to encourage you to boldly and generously support Beacons of Hope. We need some champions with us, Truth and Love Ministry, friends who will say, I want to be a part of sharing light in the darkness, millions of gospel messages in some of the darkest places in the world. We need friends who will roll up their sleeves and come alongside us. I want to encourage you to boldly and generously support the work of your congregation here. As you are a beacon of hope right in your community in a place with growing darkness. I want to encourage you to pray boldly. 
about the way in which God can use you personally, individually. And of course, as you pray dangerously, be ready because God answers those prayers. But then also remember that he gives you the words to say. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Does he really mean be perfect? Yeah. He really does. But I can't. Well, now that's true. But he was. And he gives that to you. I asked at the beginning, maybe if you remember, how many of you claim to be perfect? My prayer is that as you leave today, you leave claiming something different. Standing on a whole new identity in Christ, knowing covered in Him, the way God sees you right now is perfect.